Tundra Talk is brought to you by Frontier Outfitters and Century Hardware, your locally owned source for hunting, fishing, and shooting gear in interior Alaska. They sell proven gear that will tackle whatever Alaskan tasks you need it to, and Frontier always stays current with gear for the season. Whether you're baiting bears in the spring, fishing, camping, or dip netting in the summer, you're looking for game bags and moose camp gear in the fall, uh, if you need to stock up on trapping lures or just get everything you need to go ice fishing, they've got you covered. They always carry a wide variety of Alaskan-proven clothing and boots, camping gear, meat processing supplies, guns, ammo, reloading and shooting supplies, as well as camping gear and backpacking food. Downstairs in Century Hardware, you'll find a full hardware store naturally, and um, you'll also find your snow machine, ATV, and marine accessories down there. They go out of their way to stock plenty, plenty of quality, useful equipment. And whether you're gearing up for a hunting or fishing trip, working on a never-ending home improvement project, or anything in between, it's usually a one-stop shop. Frontier Outfitters is located on 3rd and Old Steese in Fairbanks, and they have a second location in North Pole, so make sure you stop in next time you need to gear up. This episode of Tundra Talk is also brought to you by Hedgecock Group Real Estate, a local brokerage that can cover your real estate needs in Fairbanks, Alaska. The Hedgecock Group has been tied into the Fairbanks and North Pole real estate market since the early 80s, and their services tailored to meet the diverse needs of home buyers in interior Alaska. With a brokerage team made up of multi-generation Fairbanks locals, transplants, and military veterans, they really understand the unique aspects of living in the interior and what that means when it comes to shopping for a home or buying land to build a home. They also understand the situations that many military members are in when needing to buy or sell a home. Fairbanks is a unique place to live, and whether it's learning why some houses have water holding tanks instead of wells, estimating heating costs, or just what recreational opportunities are close by, they're ready to help. More than simply acquiring or building a piece of property, they can help you find the right property in the right place and help you learn from their experience. If you're looking to buy or sell real estate in the Fairbanks or North Pole area, reach out to Brett Evans and his team of expert realtors at 907 978 3765 or email brett b-r-e-t-t at hedgecockgroup.com That's how you do it. All right. Welcome back to Tundra Talk, everybody. I'm Tyler Friel, COVID, COVID-19 veteran from the how many of the time. I don't know because I've never been tested. But and, and how many times have you had it or do you think you've no, had it? Oh, I don't, I don't know. I did definitely this last time because my wife got tested. You're a true survivor. True survivor. How's it feel to have natural immunity? Feels wonderful. Probably better than the vaccine, <laughs> right? Yeah, but... Uh, no, it's been, it's kind of a, I don't know, about shitty January. There's always things to be negative about, but it was a challenging, it was a challenging January, but uh, no, doing good. And uh, got, got Brett Evans sitting here. Back on the casting couch. Back on the casting couch. We've been bouncing some ideas back and forth and been meaning to catch up with Brett anyway for a while and yeah so we just made it made it happen yeah it's good to be back up here it's good to see you you're getting me caught up on all the the new new fancy stuff um this new x-bolt that i'm holding in my hands 
It's the X-Bolt Mountain Pro. Yeah, this they, is a sweet rifle. It is. Yeah, I, I, uh, that, it, not that one in particular, but that's the one I like did accuracy, accuracy testing with and, and what, and have, have had up here. Uh, I shot my Audad with an identical, I think it was an identical one, but it, the different finish. They, they have so many variations of X bolts and finishes and stuff like that, but the I, Mountain Pro, I think, I think it's, it's my favorite X bolt rifle that they've come out with so far. Yeah, this is, uh, I, I like the carbon stock. I like the pattern on it. I like the, I don't know. We sound like a Browning X bolt ad, but, uh, this is just a really sweet rifle, you know, semi custom. Yeah. I mean, you grab a box of shells, put a scope on it and, and take it out and abuse the hell out of it in the salt water and the elements and probably yeah. last you a real long time. Yeah, no, they're, it's, they're a good rifle. They typically shoot pretty good. We were talking like when I did my accuracy testing, it was, uh, it was all factory loads. And, um, I think that one averaged with, it was with the one seven cause it's in that six, eight Western. It's with the 175 green tipped game Kings and it averaged like just over an inch, um, at a hundred yards, but that's five shot groups. And it was like 10 below when I was shooting. So how is that's not uh, the best conditions, but I am, I have actually, I think the only thing I've heard about the 6.8 Western is what you told me, but how do you like it? How's I'm, it, how's it stack up compared to um, like, um, 280 Ackley? Um, some people probably would never realize like, a difference some people would i think you're, you're going to see with that like the 175 you're going to see probably a little bit more downrange um energy than like a 280 ackley i think they say they advertise that um at whatever distance the inner it carries more energy than a seven mag factory really? loads you know and that's saying just like standard factory loads so you you know hand loaders can do all kinds of crazy stuff but it it's a pretty cool cartridge for being a true short action mm-hmm. fitting in that, in that small little action, uh, seems to do pretty well. You know, I think it would, for most of the hunting up here, it would be totally fine. Can you find ammo for it? Uh, I have been seeing ammo for it in the store. Yeah. Cause there's, there's only two guys in town that have a 6.8 and one of them's in here. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> That's, I have a 30 nozzler and I think I'm like one of three guys in town that shoots 30 nozzler and the, the shelves are bare over at Sportsman's. Yeah. Except for like 30 Nosler, handful of other things. 25-06 yeah. has been one that's stuck around on the shelves for the most part. And the, like the ex- exotic um, Weatherby cartridges, like 3378. Yeah. yeah. Stuff like that that's just stupid expensive and cost prohibitive. But yeah. That, that is a screamer around here. Yeah. Go. No, but back. anyway, it's... Uh, I like it. I think it's a good a good overall round, you know, just like the six five Creedmoor. It's not it's not anything magic but it's like got its own and you know, gun cart like these gun companies they just are trying trying to edge out just a little bit of more performance in certain yeah. in certain areas, you know, some for some people that's not gonna matter at all and well, other it, people like that. It seems like um the various gun manufacturers and ammo companies are continue to bracket between like the six and seven millimeter, six five and seven millimeter, and, and it's just get, it's getting tighter and tighter. And it seems like maybe that six eight western might be, you know that that short action in six eight might 
kind of be a really good solution for a lot of things. Yeah, I think it, I think it would be. And I mean, the natural question a lot of people ask is, it, you know, they just say it's, you know, like, why not just rebarrel my 270 short mag? Because it's a similar, but if they could just rebarrel a 270 short mag, they wouldn't have gone through all the trouble designing a whole cartridge. Yeah. They, they, you couldn't, they couldn't get the performance out of the 270 short mag with that, with those long bullets twisted tighter that they can out of, you know, it may not be a huge difference, mm-hmm. but it, it is a difference, you know, that, that out of a true short, it's kind of like going back to why they designed the 6.5 Creedmoor as a target round. It was to fit, get like basically 260 Remington ballistics with long 140 grain bullets in a true short action. It was for... Um, the rapid fires like NRA high power guys shooting two, three and 600 yards, um, at 200 and 300, you have like sitting rapid fire and prone rapid fire. These guys, you have like, um, at least when I was doing it, you'd have 60 seconds without getting too far off in the weeds of like all the different rules and stuff. When I was doing it, you had to actually like start from a standing position, sit down, shoot two, you know, shoot two rounds or five rounds, reload and shoot the rest, you know, to finish a 10 round string, um, for sitting, it was 60 seconds prone. It was 70 seconds. This before, is when you're shooting service rifle yeah, before the targets go back down. Now guys that are doing that with a bolt gun, you know, part of the reason they wanted to cram this six, five or two sixty Remington basically into a short action is to make it easier on bolt gun guys running the rapid fires. So you don't have to have a long action for what is basically a short, you know, like a 260 with the long, long seated bullets to achieve the same ballistics, you have to have a longer action than would be necessary for the 260 anyway. Okay. I mean, it's it's kind of like picking fly shit out of chili, but we're get, we're getting deep into my ignorance <laughs> right now. I'll take your word for it. Anyway, it awesome. anyway, but the six eight Western is you know take it, some some guys could take it or leave it. I think it's a pretty cool cartridge. But I shot a moose with it too, and it, you know, like those with the 175 tipped Game Kings, and it was only like 120 yards, so it's not like I was laying them way out there. But I, yeah. I was more interested in seeing how those Game Kings held up at close range, and they, you know, I shot him three times, I think, and two of them were complete pass throughs. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's not a thirty cal magnum. That's kind of the standard that I judge yeah. all other rifles against. Yeah. But if you're not asking it to do thirty cal magnum work, yeah, then it's then it's probably a pretty spectacular round. Yeah, no, I don't think it's you know, I, I don't buy into the it's gonna flatten an elk at half a mile type thing like some people want cartridges to do, but mm-hmm. it's a it's a good all around cartridge and I think it's it's got its place. Yeah, right on. And then you got a 10 mil on your desk there? Yeah, this one's uh, Springfield, which we were talking about. We've been talking about 10 mils, and that's probably... I don't know if we've really ever covered that much on the podcast, with like which I thought it would be a cool subject to discuss. Um, it's very appropriate, especially in Fairbanks right now with a whole bunch of cranky moose standing in people's driveways and, and stomping all, all over their dogs stomping and, on sled dogs and yeah I, it sounds crazy but i won't let my kids go outside my house at night right now because i have a couple of moose living a mama and a oh, couple yeah. of calves and uh 
or if I do, I grab my pistol to go check the mail. Yeah, I'm the same. I'm kind of the same way right now. I tell the kids when I kick them out, like, uh, if you, you know, look around and if you you see a moose, just come right inside. Um, we have have had have had one freaking destroyed one of my bird feeders. It hasn't been back in a few days, but <laughs> sometimes like it, I'll be laying in bed at ten o'clock at night and I'll hear it brush up against the corner of the house. Yeah, because it'll walk the dry, it'll walk the path up to the front of the house, skirt around the side of the house, and then back to the woodshed where I got the bird feeders hung up. But uh, yeah, with this, you know, this big old you know ice crust we've got from that rain and rain the day after Christmas. It's been kind of hard living for moose. I don't know that they're necessarily, any of them are really starving to death. You know, people immediately were like, oh, the moose are all starving. No, I think they were just stressed AF. Yeah. (laughs) You know, they're they're, like, holy shit, what is happening to us right now? They're pretty hardy. And they're going to deal with us a lot better than uh, the sheep down in the Alaska range are. Yeah. It's, yeah. And I've. I've got my, I try not to worry. I try not to dwell on some of that stuff that I can't control too much and it's just going to be what it's going to be. But, uh, well, the only thing we can really do is go out and, and hunt wolves and grizzly bears and coyotes. You know, if if someone's looking to do their part, go out and kill some predators. Yep. Yep. That's, that's really the only, one of the very few things, you know, we can do as people to, to help them out. But, uh, yeah, the moose have been. You know what? One lady pretty quickly she got stomped in her front in her walkway. That cow ran up to her and stomped her, and then you got. Uh, I didn't hear about that. When was that? Yeah, it was a few weeks ago. Really? Like woke up in her driveway. She was walking up to her house, and a cow ran up behind her and wow. dang her, stomped her to death. She woke up in the hospital. She's lucky she's alive. Yeah, but uh. And then that musher got tangled up. Yeah, and Just there's a couple days ago, and there's and and even before that, I'm kind of surprised we haven't heard more heard of more issues of it. Um, what kind of pistol was that? I I read the cutout from the news miner. Oh, that was that awful. was embarrassing. I think they've I think they altered it at least to say it was a 380. Yeah. so so who shoots a a three thirty. Who sh- who shoots a three thirty eight six times into a moose and it's still standing yeah. there? <laughs> and they think we need a bigger gun. <laughs> no, but they. So the other the deal with this, the most recent one, the other day, you know, musher was out and come around the corner and a big bull moose and the pictures of it, like it looked like it was in good shape. I think you know moose just they just aren't going to want to get off the trail right now because yeah. it's just too much effort to walk through the snow. So they they act like there's there's a barrier between you know it's not like they even think of running away through the woods like they normally might they just refuse to get off the trail yeah and uh and then when you happen to have sled dogs you know like they think they're wolves yeah or that's what's programmed into them and then they proceed to stomp the living shit out of them yeah it's it's that uh, super unfortunate that it happened um yeah, I don't know if it if it ended up killing any of them dogs, but it, this took place over like an hour before someone. I so, think she had an in reach and got a hold of someone to sh- that came out there and ki- and actually killed the moose. But the paper said it was correct. I was reading and it, I think it was corrected. I don't know if the initial draft or whatever of it said, but it, the the snippet I read had said had a three thirty eight and shot it six times and then you know, going on about, about how they didn't want to carry a revolver because 
of fear or of accidental discharge, which makes no sense either. Mm-hmm. Like there's there's a few levels to that, <laughs> layers to that onion. Well, it's training and education. Yeah. And there's plenty of, of, there's probably too many armchair experts, but there's plenty of actual experts in town that are available to provide quality handgun, shotgun, yeah. rifle, firearms training. And our esteemed new local newspaper writers are not any. That, it's pretty sad in a place like Fairbanks, Alaska. That you and I think a lot of people were pointing that out. That yeah. You have this, con, you know, just confusion and yeah. Which I guess it's a town just like anywhere else. Yeah. But um, it's a town made of people. People make mistakes from time to time. Intent mm-hmm. I'm sure it was unintentional, but so it was actually a three eighty. A three eighty, yeah. Which, which is, if you're if you're use, I mean. There may be some circumstances. If you're if you're using the wrong type like you're using just regular defense hollow points or ball ammo, three eighty may not even depending on where you're hitting it, may not even like puncture the skin on a big bull moose. Yeah, or just end up just right end up underneath the skin. Right underneath the yeah. skin, yeah. Just make it in an even worse mood. You know, most yeah. likely. Yeah. There wasn't any information on where, you know, who knows if they being in a panic probably didn't know where they were hitting this moose yeah. but uh likely yeah if i was in that situation i would probably be a terrible shot yeah um at least with a pistol i'm not great with a pistol i'm okay with a rifle I'll claim to be pretty good with a shotgun yeah but that's the but yeah under under stress that would be a very challenging situation yeah no and then and further they'd said oh that you know they couldn't didn't want to carry a revolver because it was like fear of accidental discharge, which is ridiculous if you're carrying, you know, when, when you really like learn modern, you know, I think there's a stigma, you know, the old stigma of, oh, you got to carry your revolver on an empty chamber because the firing pin, like old style revolvers, yeah. that the firing pin was sticking out of the hammer. And if you have the hammer down, you know, and that hammer gets hit, it can, can set it off. That's legit, but modern <clears throat> any modern revolver uses they use what's called a transfer bar, like you've seen it on like modern Rugers or anything like that. Mm-hmm. This plate that comes up, the firing pin is actually in the frame, mm-hmm. and then there's a plate that comes up that the hammer hits the plate and that transfers the blow to the firing pin. Okay, and then if say you you're decocking, you know you hold the hammer, pull the trigger and start to let the hammer down, you let go of the trigger. When you let go of the trigger, that transfer bar drops out of the way so that the hammer can sit against the frame and cannot contact the firing pin. Oh, okay. So you could beat on it with a mallet all you want, and it's not going to fire. Okay. You know, you pull the, if it's a double action, you pull the trigger, it will fire. But there, there's plenty of, like, completely safe revolvers. I'm not really, I don't really carry revolvers anymore. I just They're don't. They're too heavy. They're heavy. Even my three fifty seven is is kind of a beast compared to a lot. You know, six rounds in a three fifty seven is just a freaking beast compared to a G twenty or this. Ten, you know, this ten millimeter. Or... That's uh, yeah. That's the progression that I went through. I had a forty four Smith end frame, mm-hmm. big great big six inch barrel, big old heavy chunk of steel. Yeah, it was a badass pistol, but it's not something that I'd want to carry on a extended trip you know, above the Alpine and take up fishing or something. Yeah. I started, I started with the, uh, a Ruger super red Hawk and 480 Ruger. Oh boy. That thing was a, 
when you want to shoot the bear on the other side <laughs> on of the, the bear. other side of the bear yeah <laughs> no that thing was a pig man in fact somewhere i've still i'm sure i've still got half a box of buffalo boar yeah ammo for it that i've you know never ended up finishing because those big freaking guns whether that or a 454 casual you know unless you hand load and shoot a bunch like you're gonna suck like that's what it boils down to with handguns is if you're not shooting regularly you're gonna suck yeah I mean, I noticed that in myself. I've been shooting a lot, you know, doing a lot of these pistol reviews for Outdoor Life. I mean, I've been shooting 400 rounds a week, maybe, for the past month and a half. And way, you know, like, you just, it's a very depreciable skill. You know, you can Mm -hmm. still get by and and be proficient if you're not shooting all the time. But, man, it it makes a big difference, the the volume. But if you want to be good, you got to shoot a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And especially with, especially the bigger, the bigger gun you're shooting, you know, you may be able to get one accurate shot off real quick, but managing recoil and, and dealing with that stuff, it's not easy to shoot really big revolvers and they're just a pain in the ass to carry. Yeah. They're big, they're heavy, they're bulky, they're in the way. I mean, if you're going to be down fishing on the river and you just have to walk back to your truck or your boat or whatever, then you know it's no big deal that's what i keep my revolver around yeah around for but pretty much anything else i'm i switched over to a glock 20 10 millimeter and then i kind of so it's it's been a bit of an evolution from the the big heavy smith 44 end frame to a taurus tracker you know the the lightweight five shot that's a 357, um, isn't it? That or one's I know a 44 I, as well. Well, they do. Yeah. They must, they must, yeah, they must have several. I had a tracker in 357 for a while. And that's shorter barrel, ported, mm-hmm. and uh, it's five-shot revolver instead of six, so it's a little bit slimmer. Yeah. And that was a decent gun, but I, then I upgraded to, um, yeah, that Glock 20 and um, carry that with either a hard cast or the solid copper extreme penetrators. Yeah. And it's that Glock 20 with a Kenai chest holster is slim enough to fit behind my bino harness. And so my, and it's, it's out of the way. I can wear that, um, that holster with my backpack or anything else. Mm -hmm. And, um, I just always have my pistol on me. The only time I don't have that when I'm in the back country, the only time when I don't have the, that holster on me is when I'm in my fart sack and then my, pistols right next to my face yeah and it seems there's people out there when they listen to this they're going to roll their eyes and think that i'm a chicken shit and i'm terrified of bears but this year we had two different grizzlies come into camp and we tried to run them off and they came back and we had to kill both of them at different times yeah. and you know not like that adolescent grizzly bear mm-hmm. mom kicked them out a year or two before and uh just like that asshole grizzly size that doesn't know if you're bad news or if they can eat you. Yeah. And one of them was trying to get into a plane. Another one was trying to get into my buddy's tent. And, uh, yeah, it was just grizzly bears just kept coming into camp. We had a, just a heap of dead bears <laughs> around camp. <laughs> oh, man. <clears throat> yeah, as it, as it should be when they're behaving like that. Yeah. So. But. Um. And it's, you know, and I've never really had a problem with brown bears down on the coast. Seen, been around lots of brown bears. Got back from Kodiak, um, 
saw some brown bears down there and for the most part they either just don't want to be seen and and get out of town real quick um or they're just like cautiously observant and give you a wide berth yeah um but and then of course there's always the exception to that right mm-hmm. you could just run across but it doesn't bear. seem but it doesn't seem to be you know at least my limited experience with coastal brown bears it doesn't seem like that that's kind of an oddball thing when you get one that you can't just scare off yeah or that won't just avoid you to begin with a, a lot of those coastal bears are kind of like great big labradors for the most part and then those north slope or brooks range or central alaska range grizzly bears are like junkyard pit bulls yeah they're just small (laughs) and they are smaller and just have really bad attitudes yeah well they uh back in the the frank glazer days well part of the reason i think they wanted him to kill all them i can't remember how many he killed from that spot that's i think it's right by the highway kind of by felan creek okay yep where he killed like 14 of them in a week or something like that one spring doing the lord's work yeah they wanted him to collect samples like they of of that the grizzly bears from that area like you know even even mentioned they had a reputation for just being assholes like attacking model t's yeah (laughs) and stuff and that's back in the day when like they got nothing down there no one to mess you know no one's Mm -hmm. messing with them or kind of invading their space so to Mm -hmm. speak yeah it's uh if anybody's looking for a spot to go find a grizzly bear that's a good spot to go they might be i've intended to go down there and try, try to hit it right when the when the stuff's melt melting just to see and stuff changes in a hundred years but you know there's still a lot of grizzly bears down there that yeah i know there's plenty there's more salmon on that side yeah so there ends up being more bears over there than on the the west side over by the parks highway yeah uh, no i'm not afraid but cautious and aware yeah so it's it's why i take my 10 millimeter with me everywhere i go no well and i think you know i just the and there's i mean there's plenty of people that do disagree with me people that deal with bears that disagree with me and that's fine like everyone ultimately like what everyone picks as their backcountry defense like backup gun whatever they whatever they pick you know it's like pick something that makes you that gives you some confidence because mm-hmm. ultimately it's always just going to be a roll of the dice. Like there's no, no hand, like the way I look at it is number one, no handgun is adequate. No, my, my preferred weapon you know, of choice is a 375. Yeah. Even, even, uh, you know, 454, 500 Smith and Wesson, you know, even cartridges, 50 AE, you know, these just obscene handgun cartridges, Energy, you know, they do they do have a bigger bullet, but energy wise, they're like a little bit more than a thirty thirty. Yeah, and I could shoot it. I would be able to shoot a thirty thirty a hell of a lot better than I could those mm-hmm. big handguns. So that's you know, if we're picking, you know, picking lesser evils or something like that, what we would have to pick in a situation, you know, I would pick the rifle every time. Every time, you know, even a three hundred eight or a thirty out six is going to give you a lot more oomph to deal with than any handgun, you know. People, you know, they think a forty four mag or a four fifty four that they're 
you know, because there's a lot of, they're huge and there's a lot of recoil that they're in, they're shooting a heavy bullet that it's a lot of gun. And relatively speaking, it's not like no, on the, it, on the full spectrum of, you know, you got 380 ACP down here, you know, 380, nine mil, 10 mil, you know, 44 mag, a little farther down the lines, 454. Mm-hmm. And then way down here. You start with your three seventy five, three thirty eight, yep. stuff like that. Like they're they're not even it's apples and oranges. Yeah, no, and that's uh, that's just math. You can look at the kinetic energy, right? Yeah, and it'll you know the the foot pounds of kinetic energy from a pistol as compared to a rifle. Um, it, I would be very thankful to have a rifle over a can of bear spray. Yeah. <laughs> that's for sure uh i had to i i pepper sprayed one it was probably a eight foot bore down in um it was on the russian river yeah in the parking lot and i had a can of pepper spray and i had my pistol and i figured i'd give him the seasoning first and if he stuck around then i'd shoot him yeah but I seasoned him up with the pepper spray and he turned around and took off and then the wind shifted and blew through the parking lot and then all the tourists were down there coughing and hacking and angry <laughs> that I had had fogged out the parking lot. But the yeah, gals that it. were hiding in the outhouse next to me were real happy that I had sprayed the bear. Jeez. Yeah, it's, uh, and, you know, I guess my, like my, you know, my first point was that, that none of these handguns are really adequate. Yeah. You know, and the second point is even, even with a big rifle, like stuff go everyone knows of a story or has experienced stuff where, you know, like a big brown bear takes thir- you got to shoot him 13 times with a 375 to get the poor thing killed or yeah. like, there's always, you know, there's always a what if, and sometimes the bear's probably just going to get you, <laughs> but it's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, the way I look at handguns is it's just, what's the tool that I think gives me the best chance in the rare event that I have to use it, you know? I'm not walking, I'm not walking into bear baits, you know, with my, with just my 10 millimeter or I'm not putting myself in a situation that, you know, is I think even a moderate likelihood of having to use it with just a pistol, you know, pistols like a, oh shit, I've got nothing else to use or something to keep inside the tent. Yeah. Or yeah, that's another, that's another good one. Um, it's just basically, I mean, I look at it as just better than nothing, but I think there's smart ways and dumb ways to go about your better than nothing option. It's a better option than trying to fight your way out of a pup tent with a pocket knife yeah, or a Havilon <laughs> or whatever the hell you got, you know? Yep. Um, now I, I listened to that, um, podcast that you had with Adam Grenda recently talking yeah. about shooting that black bear out of the porthole or as the porthole on his uh, QU tent. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, if you had a bear that was, if it was dark and you had a bear that was pushing on your tent, it'd be real hard to maneuver a rifle in there. Yeah. Um, yeah, that same one, they, it sounds like they had a interesting go with a big brown bear that they yeah. finished off with a pistol. Yeah, and, and like, you know, Adam would probably swear up and down that it, you know, a 10 millimeter wouldn't have done it, and maybe it wouldn't have, maybe it was... Maybe everything happened for a reason and they had that and they had that for a reason, but I don't know. It's, it's, it's really easy to play the, uh, the like, what if I had this, you know, what 
this, I don't know, how, how do I say this without sounding just totally stupid, but the whole, the whole what if maybe could have, should have, would have game, you know, it's like, if I'm going to say, oh, well, what if I had a 10 millimeter? Well, what if I had a second, what if we had two rifles? What if we had two rifles? Or, exactly. you know, which, you know, maybe that's not, that's just not the way. Just things work, you know, you well, go with what you got and sometimes shit happens and well, sometimes you're glad you had this and other times, you know, maybe something else would have been just as good an option. Yeah. Well, the, the results are that Tana and her brother are alive and the bears mm-hmm. in the salt. So even though it got a little Western, yep. they, it, it worked out in their favor. Yeah, it did. So yeah. you know that that did work. I sure as shit wouldn't want to be in that position trying to, you know, find it out firsthand. No. If. if no, and no one this does. This is enough gun. You know, you know, so, and I think, I mean, that's why I, I just come to the conclusion that the short answer, no, that's, you know, a 454 is not enough gun, a 10 millimeter is not enough gun. It's just better than nothing. Well, and I like having extra shots. Yeah. I like having 15 instead of six. Yeah. And Pete, you know, and, and, and that's a whole nother like thing you could d- dive into. Cause then the natural, like I've, I've been, I've seen these, these, these discussions back and forth, you know, which I think it's great to have 11 in that, you know, in that magazine, that magazine holds 11, you know, you can use a 15 round magazine with that gun as well, or, you know, 20, 20 round or extensions to hold 20 in a Glock magazine. I would rather have more ammo, but you know, the answer to that, that you typically see is, oh, well, if a bear charges you, you're only going to get one, maybe two shots anyway. Yeah. Probably sometimes, maybe sometimes you, you might get more. Might sometimes you may hit that bear and he starts spinning and you may have time. All I know from, you know, back when I was, which I, I really ought to get into again, back when I was shooting uh, like USPSA pistol stuff, ammo goes fast. Yeah. When stuff starts blazing, you know, ammo runs out really quickly. Well, you, you, who knows? You might get a few extra chances while they're chewing on your boots. Yeah. You know, there, like there was one, uh, a guy in New Mexico that I think he's, he had turned his dog. I can't remember the whole story, but had his dogs had, uh, bait up a bear and, and it, I think he was trying to get his dogs off the bear or something. And it come after him and he, he had a tent, he had, um, like Hornady critical duty, like hollow point ammo basically in a, in a Glock 20 and shot the bear several times. And it took him several times before he finally got a shot that, you know, the bears clamped on his leg that ended it and killed it. You know, would it be ideal? Is it ideal when the bear gets his teeth into, you No, but it's going to happen. It might happen sometimes. And Make a great you know, story. he was, he was glad to have the extra ammo. I bet <laughs> you know, it was like the sixth or seventh shot, something like that, that, that have you, um, done any gel tests or shot any live critters with, um, uh, yeah, solid cast ammo, um, or that hard cast ammo. I shot through a black bear with the uh, the Lehigh bullets once on one that got kind of western on me. Is that the the solid coppers? The copper solids, the yeah. Extreme penetrators. Yeah, yeah. I didn't That's do my, like a thorough dissection, but it went all the way through him. It's my favorite name for any bullet. The <laughs> extreme penetrators. <laughs> the, just the tip. This is probably your nickname in college. Oh, <laughs> uh, if only. Yeah. No. So, but, uh, but it, it blew right through the bear. Yeah. Okay. You know, I didn't do a thorough like dissection. Is there those extreme penetrator or extreme defense? There's, 
Um, they're, the bullets are made by Lehigh Defense, and it's basically just a copper solid, so they're going to be lighter than the than the hardcast yeah. head bullets, you know. But a copper solid that's machine has these flutes machined out of the front of it. it looks kind of like a Phillips head screwdriver. Yeah. And uh, there's a few different models of them. Like the penetrators have like really small flutes, mm-hmm. and the defense model has bigger flutes. And those bigger flutes are to create turbulence. And I've seen videos of them going through gel, and they do like they create almost a hollow point like wound cavity, and they okay. st- and then they start tumbling. Okay, so they dump most or all of their energy yeah, they're, inside. Yeah, they're designed to, to you know, transfer more energy, which I think sometimes sometimes that's going to matter. Sometimes it's not. I mean, I, I look at any handgun as just punching holes, basically. Yeah. And I think those ones, they being lighter, they the recoil's a little more manageable than, like, the heavy 200-grain hard cast stuff. And I think, you know, the 200-grain stuff or heavy buffalo bore you know, whether you hand load or there's, there's different bullets, but that heavy, heavy hard cast stuff, I think is probably going to penetrate a little better in the long run, but they do recoil more. And I think you get pretty, you get pretty good penetration out of the, the extreme defense ones. You can get them smoking yeah. pretty hot and really, that was the look- only penetration I can really ask for is it'll, it'll punch through, at least go through the skull. Yeah. You know? Well, there was, I was, when I was researching what ammo to use, I got deep into the forums and some guys were saying, you know, for, they were saying use the hard cast bullets and some guys were saying use extreme penetrators. Yeah. Um, I have read from multiple sources. I don't know if they're legit or if they're bullshit, but with the Glock barrel, they don't recommend using the hard cast bullets. That's lead fouling possibly. Yeah, well, what they, in, it's that um, octagonal, whatever rifle, the shape of the rifle, how Glock rifles their barrels. Yeah. It will collect lead, it, they will lead up quicker. So you, you can, you can still, you can still shoot hard cast bullets through them. You're just going to want to clean them and get the fouling out. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that goes for any barrel. Like what you'll hear people say is if you shoot enough of these lead bullets in them, it gums up to the point that you throw a copper one in there and... You know, you get an over, you get over pressure because okay. that, because it's effectively that lead's built up and choked down. Got it. And then you put a copper jacketed bullet in there and it can't compress like a lead, like the lead okay. can and squeeze through there. So it's not, it's kind of a yes and no thing. Not, it's not that the, 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 it's not okay to shoot them at all in there. It's just something you want to maintain. More maintenance. Um, and something to be aware of. Um, you know, newer Glock barrels aren't as bad. Like the old, older style, like you'll hear people say, oh, you know, you have to swap out the barrels in a G20, mm-hmm. you know, because you can get, your, it'll blow up on you with high pressure loads. Well, that- now that's, it's due to, they're saying, well, par- partly that lead issue, which I think, is, I don't know, maybe a little baloney, like some legitness to it. Just clean your, you know, make sure you clean the lead out. But, um, uh, chamber support where if you want to hand me that gun yep here you go they um the old glocks did not they had what they called an unsupported chamber which 
you know, as the feed ramp goes up in, there's a space under here that if you, like I drop, if I drop a bullet in that chamber, mm -hmm. um, the bottom of the case head, which is the portion of the case just in front of the rim yep. is exposed okay. and that gives more room and more, um, it just gives more room for better feeding. Like okay. cases feed a lot better and nine, like nine mils, pretty low pressure round. Yeah. So it, you know, it doesn't hurt to have some of that case head exposed. Um, with a 10 mil, what you'll see in some brass too, with, um, in the, the, the newer Glock barrels that I've seen are, are better supported. They're not like a fully unsupported mm -hmm. and you can shoot some high pressure stuff in them. Um, but sometimes you'll see brass that's like bulged on around the case head. Okay. They call it a Glock smile. Okay. That's kind of a smile shaped bulge in the K in the bottom of that case, like right, right up from the rim or right in front of the rim. And that's from high pressure not being supported by the chamber. Okay. And that's where that like unsupported chamber explosion comes from. If the pressure is too much and there's not steel chamber supporting that case head, you can have a case rupture. Yeah. Now this barrel, this, which is a, it's a Springfield XDM, uh, 3.8 inch. It's their like new compact 10 millimeter. This one has like about as full case head support as you're going to get. Like it's, it's even compared to my, uh, lone wolf, um, G20 barrel, mm -hmm. which is technically a fully supported case head. This, we, when you drop a cartridge in there, it actually gives like more complete, um, contact and coverage than that lone wolf one does yeah and that's what everyone says to use and they, and they they are good barrels to to use on aftermarket glock or to use on your glock um if you want just a little bit higher quality aftermarket barrel a longer barrel um they do take a couple hundred rounds to get broken in really good the, to the tolerances are tighter okay. so you may see some malfunctions like in the first 200 rounds or so yeah from talking to you about what you did with yours and then researching that ammo, I just decided uh, I didn't want to change all the guts out of my Glock and make it not a Glock. Yeah. So I decided to to just boycott the problem and go with um, the extreme penetrators yeah. instead of yeah. beefing and, up the barrel, and, beefing, or replacing the barrel, yeah. swapping out the spring, and yeah. changing a bunch of the, the inner workings of the Glock and make it no longer a Glock. Because the reason that people like Glocks is they're reliable, right? Yeah. Yeah. No. And if you want, you know, if you want to do like a stainless guide rod and, you know, heavier recoil spring, you know, and like a lone wolf, like I would, if, if I was going to get an aftermarket one for a G20, I'd just get a lone wolf barrel and yeah, and their, in their guide rod spring and recoil springs are like 35 bucks for, and it's all just like plug and play super, mm -hmm. super simple, but you do want to break in, break in their barrels. If you, if you get a new one um, okay. and shoot it a bunch just to, just to make sure. But um, there's nothing wrong with going, going the route you did either. That, uh, Underwood, I think is the main brand that loads those bullets mm -hmm. for factory loads. I got a bunch of them that I just hand load, but, um, you know, they're pretty, like they get them cooking, man. They're screaming. For, for the hard cast? And they're, well, for the, the, the Lehigh extreme. Or for the penetrators. The extreme penetrators or extreme defense. I think you can pick them up at big rays too. Yeah, there's some I, guys that are loading custom ammo and selling it here in town that I, I think you can buy them packs of those at Big Rays. And the guys down in Delta at Granite View, they yeah, also Cody had, down there, yep, load some of that stuff. Yeah, um, and I was looking at when I was comparing the the Underwood Hardcast 220 grains and and the the 
the size of the bullet, the velocity, and the overall mm-hmm. kinetic energy, and then with the solid copper, the lighter solid copper bullets, but the, the solid copper bullets were traveling at a much higher velocity, so the mm-hmm. kinetic energy was almost the same. Yeah. So it's, you can have bigger bullet traveling slower, a lighter bullet traveling faster. Yeah. And so you're, you know, like I said, you're probably, you're probably going to get a little bit better overall penetration with the lead stuff. Yeah. But I think you're going to get enough with the, co- you know, those coppers. It's going to be a little bit, um, and you're going to probably dump more, I don't know. I, I get, I get a little like icky feeling when I say, oh, you're going to dump more energy into the bear. Cause sometimes that like handgun energy just is not. Who knows? Maybe you just blow right through them. Like, you, you did. know, yeah, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe it's all the part of the fun thing is, is there's a lot of speculation that goes on, but it's fun to nerd out about it and well, kind of like try the, to make the best decision you can. The, the foolishness of, of talking about handguns and bears in the same sentences. I mean. I hope I never have to be in a situation where I have to blast one with a pistol. Yeah. I haven't yet. Yeah. I've come close a couple of times, and I'm very thankful that I didn't have to. Yeah. Because I feel like that situation can go way wrong way quick. Oh, big time. Yeah. Stuff can, stuff, the situation can unravel on you in a hurry. Yeah. Yep. But, uh. You can be, you can be laying there in a pool of your own blood wishing it was five yeah. minutes ago real quick. Yep. No, but, uh, I do, I do, I like the 10 millimeter, I think for, I think it's hard to be as far as what, you know, what's realistic for most people to be able to shoot adequately. Yeah. You know, there's pretty much through the whole COVID deal, there's been ammo around. Mm-hmm. Um, people are catching on though. People are catching on. It's been like a slow building thing you know because for forever i mean there and i think it's not even the first really resurgence of the 10 mil but it's the biggest one by far you know there a few years ago there was like the first 10 millimeter i had was a kimber 1911 and there was like a few different 1911 10 millimeters and the g20 Mm -hmm. and the g29 yep and that's pretty much what you had now like in the last couple years there's been a lot of, you know, not necessarily like totally new guns, but companies are putting line extensions, you know, offering, offering 10 millimeter as it's become a pretty like attractive backcountry type of carry, carry round. I mean, there's, there's not just not, there's always stuff that could go wrong, but there's, mm-hmm. I don't think, I think the bait debate's pretty much dead on reliability. Yeah. You know, it's, so many of these guns are so ultra re- reliable. Like, I don't feel that they're any any less reliable than my than my Ruger three fifty seven revolver. You yeah. know, there's always exceptions here and there, but um, you know, they're good pistols. Um, this one is uh, that we've been I've been like fondling and tearing apart and stuff. Is a is that like I think I did actually say it was it's a Springfield's new like three point eight inch compact. Mm-hmm. 10 millimeter and dimension wise this one has a red dot on it and i have a light on it but dimension wise it's the same size as a like it's pretty much identical to a glock 29 mm-hmm. their compact one and uh it does it comes with 11 round magazines the g29 i think is 10 but i mean there's just a lot of things i like about it better than better than the g29 i mean mm-hmm. glocks got by so much on their name and they're good pistols but they're there's always something you could do to make them better. Yeah. 
and people do, you know, like custom customizing their frames or, you know, do grinding and stippling on their frames or or machining slides and stuff like that. And for just an out of the box an out of the box pistol, I think this this Springfield is a better gun than the G twenty nine. Yeah. Um, you know, whether you want the red dot or not, you know, that's it's got the downside with the red dot is that they the Springfield red dot is you can't it's got kind of a small window and you can't co-witness the sights. You can't use your iron sights as backup. Mm-hmm. I don't really like that. You know, it's a pretty robust optic. I've shot probably 800 rounds through this gun. Okay. And uh, haven't had any issues with the red dot at all. But um, it's just, and it's a better, it's easier to shoot than a G29. Okay. Better to hang on to. It comes with, a, the gun comes, and it's versatile. It comes with a magwell that, I think interferes with my grip. So I took the magwell off and with the 11 round magazine, it fits really nice. Um, and I mean, I've been carrying it like carry it inside the waistband. It's a compact gun. Um, you could carry it in a chest rig really comfortably and it can use the, the Springfield has 15 round magazines with like a grip sleeve mm-hmm. to make it like I showed you just a full size, full you size know, to pistol. make it a full size pistol, you know, with 15 rounds, and you could stick that in your chest rig or, or whatever, you know, for, it's just a really versatile gun. Um, and I, of course, put a light on there. And that's something, you know, I've never seen a revolver with a light. And I think a light's kind of an underrated, it's, an underrated, they've come a long way, a lot, you know, the, and the lights available have come a long way in recent years. Mm-hmm. But, you know, having a good tack light on your handgun, you know, in the summer, we're not dealing with that so much. Yeah, because it's just dusky. The, it just doesn't get dark, but it other t- other times of years, other yeah. other times of year, man, or in other places, when Yogi and Boo Boo are trying to steal your picnic basket in yeah. the middle of the night, you <laughs> want to be able to light it up so you don't shoot your buddy's tent. Yeah, you know, and I like someone had asked me if I've if I tried shooting red dots with a headlamp, and the answer is no because I have a light on the gun. Yeah, pretty much. Um, you know, it might be something to try and is is a just in case type of type of deal, but that that is another no. gap in my experience. Yeah, and all of my shooting at night have been aided with night vision goggles and lasers. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, trying, that's a big help too. Trying to shoot with uh, you know a headlamp at night is maybe I need to give that a try. Yeah, but uh, humble myself, find out how bad I am at it. <laughs> oh yeah, shoot yeah, yeah especially like. Oh man, when I haven't been shooting and jump into shooting a 10 mil, it's an educational experience. So you, um, you reviewed this one for outdoor life and then you recently reviewed that, uh, Smith and Wesson, the Smith and Wesson, which that's a good one too. And I think the only other things with, with the Springfield, um, uh, it's pretty simple. I put on this, it's a company named Go Gun makes this gas pedal. A guy had turned on, turned him on to turn me on to them. Um, he had one on his SIG carry gun. It's basically a, a weak hand thumb rest that replaces the takedown lever. And they make them for Springfield and SIG and a couple other guns. And the one they have for Glock is kind of cheesy. It just clamps on the rail because Glock isn't designed with a cake, with, with a takedown lever yeah, like that. But, uh, we, you know, the short of it is that, that um, gas pedal, as they call it, really helps you control recoil and like with even with this compact 10 millimeter it's more controllable for me than a full-size g20 yeah 
That you makes know, I sense. can shoot quicker and more accurately with that. So that, I mean, that's a big thing that I, that's a big pro for this gun, even though it's aftermarket add on, but it's ambidextrous, you know, the um, slide stop and mag release on the Springfield come, you know, as ambidextrous work from both sides. That's, I'm, I, I don't know if it's a blessing that a lot of times it feels like a curse, but I'm a Southpaw and. Oh, it's definitely a curse. Finding ambidextrous pistols is, uh, is makes my life a whole lot easier otherwise i just have to learn how to use the controls with my index finger instead of my uh thumb tangled up on your chair there sort of or sort uh something you got to be smarter than the equipment but uh yeah no and and i'm seeing that you know my job now I'm, i'm doing a lot more handgun reviews and looking a lot of stuff and it's kind of the standard way things are going is, is ambidextrous everything, which is good, which is a good thing because everyone can't be right. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, the, the Smith and Wesson, uh, that I just grabbed, it's, uh, M and P 2.0, 10 mil, which I was kind of glad. I mean, I just like seeing more options. Mm-hmm. And these are both awesome options. Cause everything, you know, like, you know, like the G20 is a great gun. But, you know, the more options there are, like different options are going to fit different people. You know, you're just going to gravitate when you have options to pick from and you can gravitate towards what works best for you. I think that's just a plus. And it can help drive innovation sometimes when some companies yeah. are, are working in areas. But this uh, this 10, it also has it has an ambidextrous slide stop. The mag release is set up as right-handed, but you can swap it okay. over to the left side too. And this is probably the, well, not pro, no, probably about it. For a factory 10 millimeter, it's definitely the most comfortable, comfortable grip and the most comfortable to shoot. Um, I think with, with that gas pedal, that Springfield, I can control it better than this Smith and Wesson, but just as it comes out of the box, the Smith and Wesson definitely has a better grip. Okay. It's like a real, like almost skateboard tape type of, um, texture that i wish springfield had on theirs because they they use that type of texture on their compact their nine mil hellcat so it's not like they can't do it they just Hmm. haven't but um and you know like like a lot of these polymer guns the smith you can change out the back straps they have like three different sizes um to adjust the palm swell and how thick you want the grip to be um there's this back portion here um that stuff's all super easy to change um the the Springfield come the one I had came with the optic or you can get it without but it comes optics ready so you could use an optic you want to use on it and I think you know I'm sure you could you could replace the front the sights if you want if you want taller sights the Springfield co- or the the Smith and Wesson comes with they call it optic height sights they're not quite like suppressor height but um, I put and it comes with a bunch of optics adapter plates. The okay. Smith and Wesson does. I put an RMR on there, and you could see the sights through the the Trigicon red dot. Okay. Um, and you could see them through there totally fine. Um, like just a pretty basic, good shooting pistol. The only thing I don't like, which is kind of like nitpicking, is what's well, actually a couple things that I think are stupid, but. Um, is one of them is this freaking sear disengagement that's a tiny little lever 
that I guess technically you could just pull the trigger when you let the slide down and you, and then you don't have to uh, dig it in my pocket for tools just something to reach in there and uh, the Smith and Wesson we're still talking about has this little sear disengagement lever which allows you to take the gun apart without pulling the trigger which you know you should always be checking to make sure everything's completely unloaded when you're cleaning it anyway so I don't see the issue with pulling the trigger take it to yeah. like a Glock to take it apart um, the one thing yeah, maybe you did have to I disengaged it anyway guns apart but they paint they paint that recoil spring that orange yep and that shit gets everywhere really when it's new and it start you start shooting that gun like it's even in there it's all over you inside just have the orange paint inside flakes the all slide, over inside yeah. the gun and i you know maybe they they paint it paint that recoil spring to so they can denote poundage okay um which is the only thing that really makes sense initially i was thinking that it was to tell you which end goes in the front but that's hmm. stupid because it only fits one way. Okay. Um, so I think it was Luke Johnson actually suggested that I was running my mouth about it. And he suggested that it could have been just to denote like what weight of spring it is. Um, because the this gun is basically built on, it's the same frame and everything as the MP 2.045. Mm-hmm. They just use, use it in 10 mil. So... Really, I mean that's that's the only thing. It has a fully supported chamber too. Um, What's the price tag on that? This one, it's like six hundred fifty bucks for the M and P for the M and P, and I think it's pretty similar for the Springfield without the optic. Um, so another thing I'll point out that I like, I started looking at because my um, my Lone Wolf frame, these tabs failed on me after however many rounds of 10 mil okay like glock frames in front of the slide in front of the forward slide rails which is the the these tabs that the slide glides back and forth mm-hmm. on has these polymer you know it's polymer in front of the slide rails on the glock and that surface is what the slide impacts like okay. when it hits the rear and 10 mil is sharp like yeah. if people have never shot one they you know compared to a 9 mil they buck a little bit and it's a sharp recoil, and that gradually, I just I noticed that they were starting to crack a little bit, and they're like, "Oh, they'll be fine." Shot it a few more times, and like, it's not a catastrophic, um, like a dangerous type of failure. Yeah. But um, guns down, so I'm getting a new frame. But the where's, Smith and Wesson has a steel insert. Where's the serial number on the on your Lone Wolf? Is it on the? It's on the frame. So it's so I got to get in. You it's going to be a new gun. It's going to be a new gun. Okay. Um, but uh, the Smith and Wesson has like this little steel insert in there. Okay. That actually, you know, that's where the slide makes contact. So you're not going to have to worry about wearing out that polymer frame. Huh. That's smart. Um, and actually, the Springfield. I had forgot to mention that, but the Springfield has a similar. Has a similar. Well, I take this gun back apart, but even better, I think it's even better. I like it better. It's even more robust. Like the slide rails on the Springfield are thicker and longer. The rear, the rear slide rails are just polymer, but all the stress is on those front ones. And the front one's metal. And the front one, that whole deal is a metal insert. Okay. And so it's a metal, it's also a metal on metal impact surface, not, not a metal on polymer impact mm-hmm. surface, you know, because on the Glock and on that, on the Lone Wolf frame, 
you know, when you're shoot, if you're shoot, especially if you're shooting a lot of heavy test stuff and maybe, you know, maybe I could have, I could have just stood to use like a 23, 24 pound recoil spring as opposed to like a 21 Yeah, with heavy loads, you know, that might've alleviated that, that issue. But, you know, when you're shooting like sharp bucking stuff and slamming stuff will, you know, wear out a little quicker. I like that ambidextrous mag release too. This is a sweet pistol. Yeah. No, I, I really like it for, you know, they're not super Gucci or anything. I just think it's it's probably, the Springfield is probably the most versatile 10 mil pistol, like just OEM basic 10 mil, basic white girl 10 mil gun yeah. um, that I've seen for a while. And I, and I like the Smith. I, like the Smith is the most, is for an OEM gun, is the most comfortable shooting you know, out of the, out of the box gun. And I like, you know, they've got good lines, you know, some people like them, some people don't. If you like Smith and Wesson's, you know, the M and P pistols, then you're like, that's probably going to be the one to get. Yeah. So there, I think a, last time I saw a Glock 20 is around 600 bucks. Yeah. If you're, they're, they're basically the same price yeah. as, a, as a G20. If you're military or law enforcement, I think they have a blue ribbon program where you yeah. can get them for, a pretty healthy discount. Yeah. Um, um that's cool. what, yeah. So this on the M and P, you just twist this backstrap piece and you can, you can change out the backstraps. And then that tool you can also use to depress that, that sear disconnect lever. Got it. Which I, th- I don't know. I think the thing's kind of dumb and unnecessary, creates unnecessary clutter. Well, from- but it doesn't seem like, it doesn't seem like I haven't encountered anything in it. And I mean, I've shot, probably 500 rounds through this gun. Well, and I, I haven't encountered anything that has caused me concern. It's got a good, and it's got a good trigger, but the take up on this one's a little gritty, hmm. but it's, it's not bad. Well, it's after, you know, from comparing my Glock 20 to the M and P and the XD, I think if I was going to, if I didn't own any of them, knowing what I know now, I think I would probably buy the XD, but I would have to shoot it. Um, to really compare and see which one. Yeah. But looking at the features, I think I'd buy the the XD in 10. So they're yeah. all good, though. They're all, like, they're all fantastic options. Yep. Yep. No. I like, I mean, I bought that. I, I like, of course, I like it. I bought that one, that XD. So. It was, um, oh, you bought it after you reviewed yeah, it? Yeah. So I've been, I've been carrying that one and. Um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's a good gun. I'm going to get a chest rig, get a chest rig for it. It's just a little bit more compact than my full size G20 easier to carry. And I, I'm kind of the same way with you. I mean, for a while I've been carrying, I'll carry the pistol inside a, in a chest rig and then my bino harness over the top in one way or another, kind of the hand pistol handle kind of sticks out the side. Yep. And even, you know, like even with my bow, it's not that big of a encumbrance. Yeah, I like that it's behind my bino harness when I'm beating through the alders or the or the the tits deep Kodiak brush. Yep. We had um did you lose a bunch of stuff whenever you go down to Kodiak and go deer hunting, hiking through all that thrash and through all that brush? I had I mean I not that I can think of. I donated a trekking pole somewhere on the island. We uh we made a lot of donations this season. <laughs> a lot I think there was eight of us, and we rented out a boat and hunted the north side. And mm-hmm. it was, a, we had, 
like one of the most amazing confluences of weather and time in the rut and just all time conditions. Like the deer numbers down there are doing, they said they were good. They didn't say they were great, but there was a big blow that came through and then it got cold and it snowed about a foot mm-hmm. and it pushed all the deer down within oh, prime a, cu- time. a couple hundred feet, prime hundred time vertical to- feet. Corking them on the beach type of we weather. We didn't shoot any on the beach. I think the the folks that went right after us around Thanksgiving were shooting them off the beach. We still had to climb for a few of them, mm-hmm. but we were getting them, you know, between like just off the beach to, I don't know, maybe 500 feet up. Mm-hmm. We had to climb for them the first couple of days. Yeah. But as the trip progressed, they just got lower and then just kept getting forced further and further down. And the biggest one we got, we shot them on the, we got into town, loaded up and headed out. And it was the, this is, actually, this is one of the biggest blacktails. It was the biggest blacktail I've seen hunting. And I was, um, had two guys with me. And one of my buddies had, had just hunted his ass off this year and he had, went to a sheep spot of mine and then got shut out by weather and then went moose hunting and he was trying to help another guy get his first moose. And, uh, at, they had some opportunities, but they didn't put it together. And he went brown bear hunting. He was kind of, kind of had a bit of a rough season. Went brown bear hunting. He was trying to help get his friend a big brown bear. They had a big brown bear, give him the sneak. So the lesson is he needs to be just hunting for himself. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and so, and I had a pretty happy with how things shook out for me. And, but anyways, we were walking up the mountain. I looked down into the alders and there is just this cranker of a buck about 160 yards away. And I couldn't see how many tines he had, but he had a really good frame outside Mm -hmm. of his ears, big black forehead. I was like, oh, hey, Tim, shoot that buck. He said, you sure? Looks like a good one. Maybe you should shoot it. You spotted it. I said, one of you guys shoot that deer before he walks off. And, uh, and they were, so they were both trying to find it in their scope. And Tim ends up smoking it and he scampers down the mountain. And uh, they said, Hey, how big is it? He said, it's big. (laughs) Well, leave him down there. Mark him on your GPS. Let's go find another one. We ran up the mountain, found another, another decent buck. And then we pushed it too late in the day and we're running out of daylight. So we dragging the first one off the mountain, got down and, and found the second one. And it was, um, it was just a monster three by four, man. And I like part of me hurts inside that I didn't just (laughs) shoot it, it. (laughs) but, uh, we had just an excellent trip. Lots of big deer, lots of deer, lots of big deer, a couple of firsts, um, pulled off a deer drive i've never done that before oh we nice. had, those are fun yeah have you done that oh yeah Did work? on a fog neck yeah really yeah it, well at least you know the times i've i've been i think i've i don't know if i've ever like been the recipient of a deer drive but i've i've pushed them i've been a pusher and we just take you know different peninsulas and whatnot that mm-hmm. that have a bottleneck you know like some yeah you know, sometimes it's a bottleneck that's like you know, 50 yards wide, or you could see across it, or it's a bottleneck with, you know, 
a goes, frozen lake in the middle and then a trail on each side of the lake, yeah. you know, that type of deal. But no, it, driving deer works good. This one, we were, we got dropped off on the beach right at dawn. And as we were trekking along the beach, we looked into a clearing about a half mile down the shore. And there was one big buck that was chasing around a half dozen does. Mm-hmm. And when we got down there, the does were still there. We figured the buck was still there, but we, I've called, couldn't get him to come out. And so I had two guys post up on a, on a bluff and then I hiked upwind and around that patch of brush with my bright orange hat on so they wouldn't shoot me. And that buck came squirting out of the alder brush and nice. my buddy smoked him. Nice. Yeah. It worked like textbook. Got lucky, I guess. I don't know. Never done it before. I don't know if I'll ever get the chance for it to work out that well again. But we Well, it probably, wor- it probably worked out that well because they haven't been dri- <laughs> Like you hear some of the hear stories of whitetails back east on some of those drives like laying down and letting guys walk right past them you know some of the old older oh, no bucks kidding. that yeah i've heard heard a lot of stories like that you know either but you know sometimes like frank's got a bunch of stories of bucks that are wound you know wounded and like they're like doubling back and then jump you know double back on their tr- own track and then jump off the trail and lay down and but you know like my my father-in-law tells stories even from years ago being in a tree stand watching guys drive white tails and watching a buck like lay down and let guys walk right by it no kidding and then get out i mean i know i know sometimes like that that can be if you don't have enough drivers for black tails even where you're like trying to clean drive a peninsula mm-hmm. you know you'll get them sometimes want not want to go the way you want them to go they'll try to squirt around you or lay down on the brush and let you walk right by them Bears too, bears too, brown bears, like a big brown bear, it seems like the limited amount, you know, I did that a few times. Oh, trying to drive a bear out Driving driving bears in the same, doing the same exact thing, but, you know, trying to make a ton of noise and stopping at every little brush pile because, you know, at least those guys that I was working for, you know, said that those big bears, a lot of times they'll know what's going on and they'll try to just let you walk right by them. In like, you know, real thick, they'll just crawl in the thickest, nastiest brush pile they can find, you know, and it just, you know, if, if their nerve can last longer than yours, then they'll, then, you know, you'll end up, you know, everyone covering this peninsula that you know that bear is on and he never, he never shows. Isn't that unsettling when you get in that stuff and you can smell them? Oh yeah. (laughs) You start to reevaluate, reevaluate your life choices when you can smell the brown bear, but you can't see them. Yeah, no, it, that reminds me like that, this bear hanging out here that I killed with that stone point tracking him the next day. Cause I knew it was like a liver shot and I knew he was dead Yeah, or he was going to be, you know, by the time we were back out there tra- trailing him that he was dead, but you know, it's still a little, still a little unnerving and you're crawling through the brush and you just catch a whiff like those bears smell. Mm-hmm. pretty uniquely like sheep you know quite a few times you catch a whiff of sheep on a stock or something like that and mm-hmm. elk even like when we were down elk hunting how was that time oh it was fun walking around on hard ground oh it was incredible aside from there was no oxygen you know if, if you know, just get we i get get a little acclimated to the to the altitude oh it's nice you could walk anywhere yeah well now that you're in good shape too Look like you're doing CrossFit. Oh, no, that's looks <laughs> looks can be deceiving. Are, there, are are you on the on one of those uh, hunting workout programs? Well, I can't I can't disclose. 
Oh, Can't okay. disclose that. Gotcha. <laughs> no, I'm definitely not on any kind of workout program. I probably should be, but as much as I talk shit about it, just trying to eat relatively clean. Yeah, I. Uh, it makes a difference. I my old lady got a Peloton during the pandemic. Yeah. And I was kind of suspicious about the thing. I didn't feel great about putting on some spandex shorts and yeah. jumping on that thing, but I gave it a try and and really got into it. And I noticed a huge difference, uh, both sheep hunting and also in Kodiak. I just had my my legs just wouldn't quit. Nice. I just motor right up the mountains as fast as I could plow through the brush. Nice. And it's that I thought was super helpful. Yeah. No, it would be good. You know, I don't, and I used to be back in the college days when I had the time, I'd, I used to be big into weight training and yeah. doing all sort of crazy foolish stuff. But, uh, um, and I, I enjoyed it and it like it would realistically, like it would benefit me even just get out. I mean, I got a killer hill, like the hill off the back, the road off the yeah. backside here is a pretty killer hill. And if, even if I just went and walked that every day. I'd be a little bit better off than I am. It's, you know, all these things I should be doing. Should be. Well, I mean, there's like life, family, kids. Yeah. Somebody's got to, somebody's got to like wrangle kids and cook dinners and, and then squeeze all the other shit that you got to do into, into the day to day. But anyways, yeah, it's, I, it made a difference for me this season. Nice. And that's a, the Pelotons. That's like a bike. Yeah, exercise it's one of those bike. exercise bikes. Gotcha. And then I usually throw my 60 pounds of gravel on my back and go climb some hills before, you know, in June and July. Yeah. And then I think it's, I think it's as much mental as it is physical, just learning, getting comfortable with a heavy pack on your back and learning to, to just suffer in silence. Yep. No, there's a lot to that, just suffering in silence. Like, even if you're in shape, it's going to suck. It's just yeah. a matter of like how much, like, you know you're going to be okay, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. And that's, yeah, I'm sure you've probably been on hunts before where you got someone that has, hasn't been on an extended trip or done that type of long range trip where you're under a load for a week. And you know that it's going to, like, you don't know where the end. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually, I haven't, I mean, I've been for, you know, pretty fortunate and had fortunate to have limited sheep hunting partners over yeah. the years, but it's pretty hard to beat Dr. Frank, right? Yeah, it is. It is. Um, I got to weigh him down so I can keep up with him. He looks but, like, <laughs> he looks like he'd be like, he'd make a real nice little spoon during a bet during an extended <laughs> bad weather event too. Well, we haven't had any weather that bad. <laughs> nope. Nope. I'd end up getting, yeah, we don't go there. You don't go. Okay. <laughs> Or what, like, what's, like, Coke's say, I think he even said it on the podcast, whatever. My camp, you can go pole to pole or hole to hole, but no hole to pole. Yeah, no (laughs) kidding. No, No, I've been been really good, really fortunate over the, I mean, and it doesn't seem that long, but I've been hunting sheep with Frank for a long time now, and, like, it's just not an issue. Like, our hunting styles Mm -hmm. mesh really well, Um, you know. It's been a while. Neither neither of us is like ever super, you know, I mean, never, but usually like we're well paced and if, you know, if, and we, we kind of, you know, our, our styles are similar and we balance each other out pretty well. You know, like if I'm having a hard time, he's usually 
like, you know, you know, a couple things to say just to kind of keep in the right frame of mind. Yeah. That's helpful. And vice versa. Um, there's, you know, he like this year I ate shit one time coming down this steep slope. Like I was in front too, like on my, right on my face, downhill. <laughs> and it's like, bah, embarrassing, you know, is, is it was be- before or after the bees. Oh, this was after the bees. Um, this is, yeah. So, so that was like some Tommy boy shit. Oh, and that's not the first time we've had that happen. Like Frank's had bad luck with bees on our, our hunts. The very first time it was literally a fuck bees run, <laughs> you know? And then this same, the same thing too, you know, like I felt bad cause I was the one pissing them off and he was just there to catch their wrath well, behind like, me. What do you do if you step on their height? Do you keep your boot on theirs and let your, not let me, your man, I'm running. You're just going for it. Every man for himself. Yeah. But, uh, we, in which that reminds me, bees, we actually found, I don't know if we did talked about it on the podcast, but we found a spot where uh, a black bear had like climbed up a little tree and, and ripped a wasp nest down and like tore it up and ate it. No kidding. It was pretty cool. But, um, man, how tough yeah. do you have to be to do that with your face? It's pretty fucking tough, man. Tougher than me. Tough. Yeah. And, tougher and dumber. I'm, I can, I'm pretty dumb. So. Um, but yeah, I, so I ate it, I ate shit right on my face that one time. And then the kind of guy, Frank, I don't know if it was later that day. He's like, yeah. So right after you ate shit, I did too. <laughs> I didn't have to tell you, but I felt like I should. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you got beer in there. Yeah, I do. Do you want one? I'll have one if you, is it, I'll have one if you have one. Yeah. Why not? Why not? You know, Pabst or Coors Light or something light. How about one of those green ones? One green ones? Yeah. Frank's beers? You know what they say? I bought about, them, but you know what I they bought say them about, for Frank because I don't drink those. You know what they say about peer pressure? You can't say no to you it. You can't say no. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh man, yeah. The old. I feel I feel bad. I mean, I think this pot like podcast has the best listeners for sure of any podcast out there. Surely does. Definitely, like people like of a sound like mind. You know, some some good Canadians. You know, just it's got good, folks. good, good listeners. Yeah. So I feel bad. I feel bad because it's been like pretty sporadic over the holidays and getting sick. I mean, I thought we had COVID right. Out, I thought we probably had COVID right after Christmas and maybe we did. I don't know, but, um, been kind of a shitty tough winter as far as, as far as just keeping stuff out. So hopefully, you know, back, back with the program and, um, yeah, but I got to say that though, like definitely has good listeners i get i get a lot of like good good questions and feedback messages and stuff that's just like quality quality stuff are you still doing your shit your pants stories um i could start doing them again i haven't been doing them i've been trying well the whole point of the shit your pants stories is to try to get frank to tell a certain story (laughs) that he's probably not going to tell so i kind of gave up on that one but man there was some there were some good ones and they're turned, there was some pretty twisted ones too. I, there were some I, messed up ones. I got some bad water and I have a plethora of shit your pants stories from this season. Oh man. All from the same season. huh? See, it's yeah. It was a, it was a, it was a very long drawn out event and, uh, had to buy a lot of new underwear after it was all said and done. Oof. It was rowdy. I thought I was, I thought I was high enough up the mountain to not get Giardia. Turns out that was not the case. Oh man! So is that the first time? Like, because do they say Giardia sticks with you still, or can they kill it off? Or well, I have this um, seem. I seem to have a problem 
with catching Jardia in the odd years. Huh. Is that what you had when that moose hunt, when you were all crippled up a couple of years ago? Yeah. Yeah. 2017 down in the Wrangles got Jardia. It was really bad. Man, what? 2019 on Unimac got Jardia or something. I don't know. I filtered every drop of water we drank on that island. I don't know. Messed me up. And then again, this year, I didn't get cultured, but it was all the same symptoms. But it wasn't as bad. Like, I shit my pants more than once, and I was messed up for a while, but I didn't take medication this time. I just cleared it naturally. But I do, I have a buddy that's a doc, and he, um, before every hunting season, he prescribes a full suite of backcountry meds for me. And so if I, if I am on someplace remote, I can, which I was when I was out on Unimac, I was mm-hmm. able to start taking, um, Jardia medication out there. So well, that's, that's rough. Yeah. What's your, well, that, so you're filtering stuff. Maybe you ought to change that program up a little bit. Yeah. Well, I didn't filter. I wasn't filtering the water this fall. I was just mm. stuck my face in the, in the trickle coming down the mountain. But it, after I got further up the mountain, it kind of, it was like a real steep Creek and then it leveled leveled out in a, in a kind of a hanging Valley. And, and then there was sheep sign all over in that Valley. So it, I got, got again, you think I'd learn, you you think I'd learn my lesson. I'm, I think I obviously haven't. I'm sticking with the, uh, sticking with the, um, the Aquamira, man, that stuff's treated me good for a lot of years. I've never got sick. Is it pills or liquid <clears throat> drops? Liquid drops. Okay. I'm going to get on that you know, program. It tastes, it, you know, like, I don't know. It doesn't, the taste doesn't bother me. Like if you're, if you're super picky on taste, like you can taste it, but man, there's just no, I just don't have any doubt. You know, I'm have drink some, we drink some raunchy ass stuff, like potholes with worms crawling around in them and stuff and it's just good give her a little extra dose and well, you're not filtering I'm you're just you're not just filtering your analogy in there just scoop it up and treat the shit out of it huh you yeah, know I heavy mean, duty heavy duty you know like glacial silt creek water um i mean which that stuff's it doesn't grd it doesn't concern me as much in there as it does but in you know like like tussock pothole yeah. type of stuff and Stuff that's like where you're reaching down in rocks and pool waters pooled up kind of in a, you know, on top of a ridge. Sometime you get a low spot, you'll get a bunch of loose rock that if you can dig down there deep enough, there's water pooled up, you know, on in potholes and rocks. And there's these little worms and stuff like stuff that probably mess you up pretty bad. Um, but no, I've never, I've never knock on wood, never got sick. So the Aquamira, and they're light. They don't weigh nothing. I usually bring two sets of them. It's just a little squeeze bottle. Yep. You just do like, uh, I think it's seven drops, part A, seven drops, part B in the cap. Let them sit for a couple minutes. You know, like five minutes, I think is what they say. Okay. Turns yellow. Like you dump your cap in your bottle, and then you just dump a little bit back in the cap and swish it and dump the, you know, throw it in the bottle. And I think you're supposed to let it sit half an hour. But, uh. Huh. Yeah, I need to get on. Yeah, that no, it's uh, yeah, I haven't carried a filter for I keep thinking this is the last time this is going to happen to me. It's not the case. 
Yeah, I'm, I would. I would. I would change something up. <laughs> I'm. I'm changing my program because I'm tired of being. You yeah. know, it it shut down the second half of my season. Oh, big time! I wouldn't yeah. go anywhere without a roll of paper towels. Oh no! Yeah, talk some some Taco Bell napkins and. <laughs> Yeah, so man, that, there's some it, anybody yeah. listening, uh, learn from my failures on that one because my failures have been have been uh, messy and well, I've, and repeated three <laughs> and times. Repeated. Yeah, it was a rough go for me. Um, what else? Well, you've been flying your airplane much. Um, it's actually it just got out of the shop. I had a leaky fuel tank, but um. So I'm excited to jump in and do some some ski flying. Not catch on fire. Yeah, it was a small leak, very minor leak. Nice. But uh, now it's not it's not leaking anymore, thankfully. But yeah, I did some uh, did a couple of mods, increased my gross weight on my cob, uh, added the pistol flaps, and uh, added uh, some extended landing gear, so have a little bit more prop clearance. Nice. And it's, but I'm, I'm still like learning that beast. I have a pile of helicopter time. I don't have very little fixed wing time. So I have a healthy amount of respect for that little airplane. Yeah. Well, so. I think I talked to you about that at one point, you know, thinking, oh, well, flying a helicopter has got to be a hell of a lot more complicated than flying an airplane. So you'd think it would, all that experience would just translate directly over, but it's different beast altogether, huh? Some of it, some of it translates very well. And some of it is completely different. Yeah, and probably know. the factor, probably the the factor that you can't stop in midair. Yeah, is is a uh, well with the helicopter it depends on what your gross weight is and and what altitude you're operating at. Because there's plenty of times where I was flying the Blackhawk and I couldn't stop it yeah. because it'd fall out of the sky if I got too oh. slow because I was too heavy or too high up. Yeah, um, but with that you could stop it sometimes. Yeah. Um, the airplanes, they don't stop. No. Nope. That's like, they just, they got to keep moving forward. Mm-hmm. So, no, I got a, a ton of learning to do, um, but, you know, just taking it one step at a time and being very cautious and deliberate about the whole process because I have, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't want to go out and wreck my airplane. No, or, or no, get hurt. you don't. <laughs> um, it sounds like that's like the program to to get with you know you hear like any old pilots i've talked to have all i mean that's the same same thing don't do stuff you're not ready for and just like spend a lot of time learning your airplane and stuff like that yeah you know the um well adam we had on the podcast recently Mm -hmm. like he has tremendous amounts of experience and he's got you know he can go out and do some some real sexy stuff with the cub that I wouldn't even attempt to do because he just has way more experience flying planes than I do. Mm-hmm. But hopefully someday I can get get to that point. But yeah. that's his full time job. This is a you know this is a hobby for me. Yep. So, but it's you don't have to go. You don't have to be able to go stick an airplane on a little tiny postage stamp gravel bar or. or messed up tundra ridge to have a you know to find great hunting oh yeah no it's it's just a it's another even at a a basic level you know it it 
is a whole, it's another degree of freedom. It's like having a boat as opposed to just a four wheeler. Yeah. I mean, even if you guy operated out of the, the larger strips, it's just nice to not be the, the, the thing that I like most is not being tied to, uh, an air taxi or transporter schedule. Mm-hmm. And so I can just watch the weather and I can plan my trip based off of a uh, quality weather window as opposed to August 7th to August 17th yep. and, and just take what weather gives me. Yep. Cause you could like this year between August 7th and August 17th, there's like two huntable days. Oh yeah. It sucked. It was awful. <laughs> it was. And if you didn't get it done in those two days, you're either hold up in camp or, or trying to yeah. fly back to town before you know, the weather goes or you're to waiting shit. or you're waiting, you know, you're getting told by your air service that they're going to be a week late. Yeah. Because no, they're like, so backed up, you like know, for situation. trying to pick up everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, and then, yeah, so it's, and then that's at the trade off of risking your, your own equipment mm-hmm. doing stuff too. So it's like nothing, nothing's for free. You know, there's not like the, oh, you know, I've made it now. I don't have to worry about shit type of deal, type of deal. It's, you know, it's a good thing. Like, you know, I, I definitely understand what's attractive to it about it. It's just easy to get, it's easy for, for us have nots to get sucked into the, the, uh, well, that guy's got that. So he, you know, he, he doesn't have to worry, you know, if, if, uh, if what I'm saying is making oh, sense yeah. or you're getting my drift. I think so. Well, I mean, yeah, if I walk away from my airplane, I got to put up an electric fence around it just so the bears don't eat it. Yeah. We had bears trying to eat our planes this year. Yeah. Um, you wouldn't be the first person that's no. happened to it's, that's uh-uh. kind of common. So yeah, you gotta, you gotta, that, that is also stressful. I mean, there's, there's mm-hmm. going to be plenty of hunts that I'll do where I will still have someone else fly me in. So I don't have to worry about yeah. leaving a plane there just cause it's, it's a huge liability sitting back on a strip somewhere for, you know, three, four, five days or a week while you're out fooling around the mountains trying mm-hmm. to shoot something. But it's, uh. It's been a fun, positive experience. It feels good to be back in the cockpit and flying again. Um, if any of your listeners are interested in doing it, like step one is get a medical or make sure you're physically fit so that you can do it. And then go do some research and find a, a quality training program. Um, if I, I did it locally, but if I could do it again, I would have went to an accelerated course. Yeah. Um, where just take a two or three week vacation and go do an accelerated, um, private course. Yeah. And it's, you, you, at least, um, the way my mind seems to work is that if you do a bunch of training in a brief amount of time, you're building on that experience. I started right before COVID happened and then the flight school shut down and then they opened it back up. But it was, you know, I was able to get in maybe once or twice a week. Yeah. And so it ended up being a lot more drawn out than I would have preferred. Yeah. So. And it's probably not going to end up being any cheaper in the long run either, rather than just. I think it. it would be, you would end up doing it. It would faster. be more, it would be more expensive probably to do it stretched over a long period of time. I mean, everyone's situation's a little yeah. different, obviously. I mean, I was, you know, in town staying at my place. I didn't have to you know, rent a hotel or a rental car, but it, I ended up needing more flight time because I, it was, um, 
drawn out over a longer period of time. Yeah. So, but there was, I was not, I wasn't trying to set any records for, you know, making it the, the fastest through the program. I just wanted to be proficient and feel mm-hmm. good about it. Yeah. So it's, it's fun. It's not a, it's not a black hawk with machine guns, but it's still pretty, <laughs> it's still pretty cool. It's still. nice to be able to just go jump in or, and, uh, and cruise out to the flats or the foothills and look at moose and, and you can get a lot of scouting done with a hour of flight time. Oh yeah. No, I just, it just opens up a totally different world as opposed to being just locked onto the ground. Yeah. But again, like with a four wheeler or snow machine or, or just burning boot leather, you're not as, uh, you're not as limited by weather. Nope. You know, you can, you can drive your four wheeler or your, or your jet boat through the clouds and the rain and, and the sleet that would probably keep a guy on the ground. So there's, there's trade-offs to it all. It's a, it's a great tool, but it's not the only tool. Yep. So, but yeah, if you're, I don't know if you're ever interested, I can put the stick in the back and you can go fly it around if you want to make sure you're right with Jesus though. (laughs) Yeah. But you better make sure you are too though. Yep. (laughs) But yeah, no, flying's fun. Flying's fun. Have you ever had the urge? Uh, for a while I was kind of, for a while I was, I was. I don't know what the right word is. Thinking about, I was never like very intentional yeah. in, in moving towards that. And now I'm like, eh, I'm kind of okay. I'm kind of okay with it. And, and the more people I've known, I think if you're, if you're really passionate about flying, do it. Yes. Um, if you're not going to be passionate about flying, don't, don't do it. And I'm just like, I could kind of take it or leave it. So I'm just like, you know, and all the expense and effort that's, that's involved, like you got to like doing it you got to like, it's got to be a passion, mm-hmm. I think, to, fi- for you to find it worth, worth the time and expense of doing it. Not to say that, not to say that it's a bad thing or it's a bad thing if you don't, if you're just like, yeah, you know, like it's, it's not for me, you know, you got to pick and choose, you know, you don't even have to make a lot of money to have your own airplane and fly. You just may have to sacrifice other stuff. Yeah. You know, a lot of the, some of the older time pilots that are really good pilots that I know are like, I just wanted to fly. So I drove, you know, I lived in cheap places and drove cheap, shitty cars and didn't have a four wheeler and snow machine and Mm -hmm. stuff like that, but I had an airplane. Yeah. You know, so yeah, it all just kind of, kind of, depends on prioritizing what you want. You know, I like, I like having a boat and snow machine. Like what I have is working, working for me. And I, like, I find it fulfilling and I don't know, like doing all the math. I don't know that I would fly enough, at least at this point in my life to really justify having it or doing it. I would, I would, I would, I know I would love it, but it's just, yeah, one of those, one of those trade-offs. Like I've kind of, chiseled my way into a certain way of life and yeah. for right now that's not doesn't seem you know maybe just saying it just doesn't seem like it's in the cards mm-hmm. um not to say i couldn't because you know you can you can with like a, a good attitude and, and hard work you can make a lot of stuff happen that is not you know stuff just doesn't happen on its own you, like, gotta, you gotta make it happen you gotta be intentional 
you know, and that's even just for people like that, you know, want to go sheep hunting or want to do this and that, man, where there's a will, there's a way like you can, if you're intentional about it and that's, you know, with, and setting goals and, and stuff. And I think it's something, you know, I certainly could do better, could do better about in my own life and be a little more organized in my efforts. But, but if, if, you know, even stuff that seems like way out of reach, it's not, you know, if you, if you're intentional about it, you can do almost whatever you want. You just gotta, yeah, you gotta break it down and just do one task at a time. Yep. You know, whether it's walking, you know, 15 miles out of the mountains with a pack full of sheep or, yep. or finishing a degree, getting, um, um, you know, with that flight time, yeah, I'm running a business, I'm raising a family and, and it was doing that in the middle of a pandemic. And I just had to like carve out a couple hours and, and that was the hardest part of it. Like the, the stick and rudder skills of flying, um, was not challenging. Uh, yeah. it was just carving out the time in my schedule and being consistent with it. So mm-hmm. that way I could, um, continue to improve. Yeah. But if I, if I didn't already have a couple thousand hours of rotary wing time, I probably wouldn't be, I probably wouldn't be doing what I'm doing, but because I have that foundation and knowledge to build on, it that's was made it a lot um, of that part. A lot of that stuff went easier for you. Yeah. Without the, than it would have without the experience. Yeah. That makes, it makes total sense. You know, like whether you're driving a pickup, a pickup, a car, or a motorcycle on the road, the rules of the road are still the same. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. It's, it's just like slightly different mechanics to controlling each various type of machine. Yeah. No, so, that makes, that makes total sense. Yeah. That's how I, I don't know. That's how I've worked it out in my mind anyways. And yep. the airplanes have to move forward. You have to move forward. <laughs> yep. Did, uh, you got any big spring plans? Um, I'm actually, I'm going to head down to Southeast and do some commercial halibut fishing. Nice. And I might squeeze in a black bear hunt in May down uh, out of Petersburg. Might go down there and try to arrow a black bear. Cool. But uh, but nothing significant. I thought about maybe going to Kodiak, but I got too much on my plate with work right now for a, you know, for a goat hunt. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? Uh, nothing, nothing too crazy. I've kind of kicked around the idea of going goat hunting, but I don't know if it's going to happen. Probably won't at this point. When are you going to go spear a bear? Are you going to go spear a grizzly bear? I mean, you're going the primitive Man, that route. Josh Bomar dude kind of ruined that for everybody. Oh, I'm not, not following what <laughs> Oh, happened. it was a few years ago, you know, this, he's kind of a like him, don't like him. I don't know the guy, but very like controversial, loud, boisterous, like, YouTube Insta okay. hunter character speared a bear in Alberta and just like lost it and you know doing the you know crazy lose your shit dance and gotcha just like it didn't come across well it and was. and so like spear hunting stuff caught a lot of flack which I I've I've gone back and forth I don't know it would be fun to spear a bear I do I do plan on hunting bears like I'm angry at them. Um, good, but probably just with my bow for the most part. Okay. Um, with your recurve. Yeah. Awesome. 
way cool. Yeah. My uh, plan on killing a bunch of them. Hopefully, there was. Have you are you familiar with Tim Wells? Oh yeah, he's the the blowgun hunter. And, yeah. Did you see any of the videos where he killed a black bear? Yeah, I did a few years ago, which it was funny because, um, like, you know, I've watched some of his, his hunting show and I don't know, like, I just don't like most hunting shows. And he's like, it's a little, it's, some of it's pretty cheesy. It's it's cool. Like the, the idea is cool. I did master. see, yeah, you know, and I think he's like extremely talented at some of the stuff he does. He does do like shooting bird, you know, mm-hmm. like he shoots a, what lately was whatever brand, you know, but he shoot, shoots a compound with fingers and no sights and like, you know, shoots bird, he's ducks shooting, and stuff ducks like and that. Yeah. So he's past shooting ducks and geese yeah. with his bow. Like that's pretty, that's pretty impressive. Um, but I did see, I did see the blowgun black bear, which I remember cause he hunted with Bloomquist. Yep. And then he, he posted like he did it. And I heard about it and then he posted something, you know, talked about how, oh, we found this moose kill and I snuck up on this bear, black bear, the grizzly bears had abandoned the moose kill. And I still like made up this whole intricate story about blow gunning this black bear on a moose kill. And I was like, well, I was like, aren't you guys using bait? You know, you guys are just hunting baits, right? As opposed to sitting over a pile of dog food and old donuts. Yeah. And that's, and that's what happened. Like he just made up this, and I don't know if it was some outdoor channel thing because oh, okay. the of bait, which I'm like, is it not just cool enough that you killed a black bear with a blowgun that you, you know, you have to make up this whole other story yeah, alongside it that, you know, that side, which actually, you know, I don't know. I think that's that may be kind of a gray area or just a not defined area as far as shooting a black bear. Not the like, not that oh, I have any problem. Yeah. Not that I have any problem with it, but. I don't know. It worked. Oh, it did. Yeah. You ever see the one where he's hunting baboons? Yeah, I did he's see that one. Monkeys. Like, oh, you <laughs> shot me. Oh yeah, you got your baboon skull up there on the shelf. Yeah. Oh, shooting baboons is fun. Yeah. I would. I would devote some serious time to hunting baboons. You, you go back to Africa just to shoot baboons. I probably would. Man, I need to get hip. They're with just that program, but they're they're smart. Like yeah. you, you know, you could get, you know, you could get a bunch of them, but like you. You could get intentional about doing it, not just like, I'll drive over the hill and, oh, there's a bunch of them running and, which is just great fun, warming up barrels, you know, out the window (laughs) on the, on the like side view mirror, the land cruiser, you know, it was not, not to demand, not to take away from the fun factor at all. Cause it was a hoot, but you could be like a little more intentional about it and just like put a, put a whooping on them. Um, you know, at least like at the end of the sea, we were there at the end of the season and they were like, yep, you can normally, it was whatever fee, you know, per baboon, but they're like, yeah, you can shoot all the ones you, <laughs> they're just trying to I, them out. yeah, I, you know, yeah. Cause they, I guess at the end of the, you know, on the off season, they get in there and they tear up the thatch roofs and get into their camp and just wreak all kinds of havoc. Do you have plans to go back to Africa anytime soon? Uh, no solid plans. I would like to. Yeah. If anyone's wanted to pay for me to go over there, I'm, I'm a willing participant. You write an article about it. Yeah, no, it would, uh, which, you know, I'm not there. I think, I don't know. There are writers that are pretty good. I think at jockeying position to go on trips. Mm-hmm. I've been invited on a few trips, but I'm just, I don't know. It seems weird to me. They're probably jealousy to get to go hunt sheep and brown bears every year. 
probably yeah wouldn't 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 surprise me i'm i'm definitely i mean i guess i can pretend like i'm doing doing normal stuff but i'm pretty we're pretty fortunate to have the opportunities we do are you going to shoot a big one this year <laughs> i'm never going to shoot a big one <laughs> i am going to try to i am going to if i shoot one um i'm not going to shoot one that i that i know is that i think is under 8 years old that's fair that's probably my that's probably my whatever you know like the sheep in in area especially in areas like the sheep or have had a couple hard winters and mm-hmm. it's yet to be seen how bad this winter is going to be on them are I you think um are you excuse me are you going to go try to chase one with your bow again uh that's yet to be decided tbd tbd too we'll see you know because we usually just bring bring one rifle anyway so it may not hurt for me to just bring my bow and try we'll yeah. just see how see how i'm feeling um the I've been within bow range once. It was the first one I killed. I yeah. did every. I didn't even know what I was doing. I was figuring it out it as I went, and it was that my first ram that I took in the Delta controlled use area, and I was hunting from the bottom up, and I crawled yeah. up the mountain up through the cliffs, and I, you know, bumped them out of their bed. It got them to stand up out of their beds at forty yards broadside, and ever since then they've all been. Outside of a hundred. Yeah. No, it's, you know, I think probably the big, you know, I'm my own limiting factor if I just try yeah. more, but sometimes, you know, like last year spent several days, you know, several, like a couple huntable days trying to get this ramp. And, you know, sometimes it's like, you know, you end up being able to, being able to close the distance and get a rifle shots, just, you know, simple math. You yeah. know, one, two, three, and, and that's it. And then sometimes you spend days trying to get within rifle range. Mm-hmm. Waiting you know, for them to make a mistake. Waiting for them to make a mistake. And also, you know, I don't know, as I've, if, over the years, I've gotten a little more, maybe maybe patience, not the right word, but mm-hmm. a little more calculated. The more I've screwed up, the more things I know mm-hmm. not to do or that I shouldn't do, and the less like the more hesitant I am to push the issue sometimes when sometimes maybe if I just, Oh, just drop down that gully there. Oh, they might be able to see for a little bit, but we'll try it. And yeah. then you're in shooting range, you know, where, whereas, you know, like, la- like last year, there was a few things that maybe we could have done and, and killed the Ram we were after no problem. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, we've screwed it up too many times to, you know, it's just like that, that, that gamble, the odds are not in your favor type of deal. And when typically, if you're just patient, typically, if you're just patient, the odds will roll in into your favor eventually. And they just didn't this, uh, develop the situation and allow it to happen. Yeah. I'll, yeah. So, or sometimes, sometimes, and sometimes they just do weird shit, you know, like happened this last year well, and it's I, happened over the, you know, you had but your situation was, I'm going to say this politely, it was pretty screwed up with those those ass clowns out there that were. Yeah, but they, you know, they. That were fooling around the hills, obviously didn't, didn't sound like they really had any idea what the heck they were doing. Yeah, and it didn't, but they, to be fair, like they, in the big picture, they didn't really actively disrupt anything. Like. I don't know that things would have would have worked out any differently 
there's was no clear like they you know they didn't spook the sheep or yeah. you know they did stuff that we didn't like and I'm sure you know they feel the same way about us being there too it just is what it is you know they got they got a right to be there too I think some of the you know the way the way it unfolded was not probably the way I would have liked to you know it was not what we would have done if we had yeah. been second there we would have just kept moving and yeah but you that, know, that's a, it that's was a, just it was just a matter of situ- circumstance and luck and weather. I mean, it just didn't roll our way. That's a tough one because you can't regulate ethics, right? No, no. And it but, wasn't like and it wasn't like they did anything that was like horribly unethical. It was like yeah, some inexperience and some stuff that's just like what the, like what the hell, man. But it wasn't like anything anything crazy. It was it was more just. It, like it did a lot more mentally, just mentally in our own minds than it did to actually the, 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 what the situation was and how it unfolded with the sheep. Yeah. You know, the sheep kind of just did what they did and, you know, maybe it had an effect you know, maybe there was a component that we, maybe they saw, the sheep saw something they didn't like and that caused mm-hmm. them to move, you know, to a totally different drainage the next day, you know, and or took us whatever, two days to find them again. Um, but maybe, but there, I, there's nothing clear to point to. It was just kind of. Maybe the sheep didn't prefer marijuana smoke. <laughs> yeah, that could be it too. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, it was just unfortunate. It was bound to happen. So whatever, huh. whatever. It just didn't, didn't just luck didn't, didn't roll our way this year. That's okay. Yeah. That's well, part of what, part of what makes it fun trying it because you never nothing's guaranteed you know it's not like you're you're showing up guarantees anything it's not a high fence hunt nope they they have yeah they have there's a lot of chance involved with it which is what makes i mean for all the for all the times that you know like i've seen people uh just social media and stuff people you know one i don't know why it pops out to me one guy oh well, sheep's super easy. All you just got to be able to hike a lot, right? It's like, well, until it, you just walk right up to them. Shoot. I was like, well, until you don't, until it's not like that. Yeah. You know, it's easy until it's not. Yeah. You know, the yep. sheep, sheep stay, you know, sheep stay in the same place that you could easily sneak within rifle range of them until they don't. How many have you killed? I mean, that's oh, did, oh. that guy, you know. Yeah. I mean, had I he know. harvested any? Did he actually hunt them? Maybe once or twice, I think. Okay. Not, you know, which. You know, yeah, sometimes sometimes stuff works. Sometimes it's stupid easy and other times it's not. But that's, mm-hmm. I mean, that's part, if it was, if it was impossible every time, there, you know, I wouldn't be as interested in it as I am. <laughs> you know, I like shooting sheep, but if it was a gimme every time, then it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be near as much fun as it is. It wouldn't be as rewarding, I don't think. So I had um, an argument with a friend of mine, or a conversation anyways. And we were trying to figure out, because 40 inches is like the magic mark, right? Mm-hmm. The magic number. And I have yet to break that. Plenty of people have. But if you shoot a ram, let's say you kill a big old double broomer, and he's broke off. It is, if he's broke off, and he would have been over 40 with his tips. Doesn't count. Doesn't count. Okay. Doesn't count. That's what that's that's the consensus I've gotten. Okay, like that one would have been close. He yeah. probably would have been. He would probably it, would have been forty if he if he hadn't broomed off. Would it score? But, um, would that one score better if it was tipped? 
Or is it score better as a broomer? Oh, I don't know. I guess I haven't got that much into scoring sheep. I got You got to kill sheep, big sheep to be to worth, care to, about be, to actually care about what they yeah. score. And I don't kill big enough sheep for that. No, but you kill a lot of them. That counts for something. But, uh, no, there, there is, I mean, yeah, that's, that's all, yeah, all in the eye of the beholder. It's not a 40 inch sheep unless it tapes out to 40 inches is what the old, the old timers would, that I know would tell me. And even if you had a. <laughs> Don't count. Okay. <laughs> it's a big sheep. That's big sheep. Not a 40 incher. Not a 40 incher unless it tapes out to 40 inches. Shoulda, coulda, woulda. Build you some fake. I don't know. I, I like appreciate. I appreciate you know each sheep for its own characteristics too. You know, like that one would have been a super cool looking one. Just his genetics, if he hadn't been broomed. Yeah. Really tight curled. Tight, twisty, and heavy. Yeah. But uh, no, he is what he is. Do you know what range you're going to hunt this year? I think so. Yeah. I think we're probably gonna. I think we're gonna. Go somewhere. Yeah. I think we got a pretty, I think we got a plan. I got, I have not hunted the south side. I think side. we're going to go sheep hunting. That's I go sheep hunting. <laughs> I've, I've never hunted the south side of the Wrangles and it looks challenging. Yeah. But uh, that's, that might be the direction that I, that I had this year. Just go see some new country. Yeah. And there's some giants down there. But now, have you ever been down in that? No, Chitna River area. I haven't. No. Yeah. Big country. I'm still trying to find a map. People that are listening to this and actually know about the area are going to roll their eyes at how ignorant I am. And I'm okay with that. But there's, uh, I'm still trying to find like a legit map with actual hard park boundaries from the park service because it all seems a little bit vague oh, and ambiguous. That, that sounds about like the park service. Yeah. For you, it depends on who you ask. Like, I take it back. One time I was, I just went with my cousin to go hiking around, look, see if we could find a mountain goat out of McCarthy. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were told this, I mean, this was like, like 15 years ago. We were told we had to have a bear proof food container. We're like, well, we're not in the park. We're hunting in the preserve. Yeah. And I had just, because we, some parks, some, a couple park rangers had lied to us hunting in, um, a different area that was in a national preserve park service lands. Um, they had run us in the field and they gave us a warning for not having bear proof food containers. And when we got back, um, the rules don't say anything about that in the in the preserve preserve they, lands they didn't know their own regulations well i think they knew they're just trying to push people around huh. um so there was a couple things they lied to us about they like the, directly contradicted the rules you know as as we went back and because the the park regulations and the preserve regulations are are separate. different hard park and the preserve are different and there's things like you like you didn't have to have bear proof food container and it's like it's just a way to restrict people like oh you know these tiny little like drums that you put in your backpack that hold about half a freaking day worth of food yeah um what happens you, you know what happens so when you shoot something does do you have to well yeah I, I, anyway anyway so like in mccarthy and we 
made the mistake asking something and the lady in there is like, oh, you guys have your bear-proof food containers, right? So, no. Well, you have to have those. So, well, we're not, we're hunting in the preserve, not the park. Oh, well, the preserve is inside the park because the Wrangell Preserve is surrounded by park. So that's what they're saying is because it's surrounded by hard park that you're in the hard park. You're not in the hard park. Yeah. And, and uh, oh, well, we're, we're, we need, you need to, we need to protect the bears, blah, blah. It's like, well, it's brown bear season's open. Like if we see one, we're shooting it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and. I will shoot him dead right there. Anyway, yeah. I think we just to shut her up, we took him and left him in the truck or something like that. Oh, okay. But it was, it was she, a. It she, w- honestly, she's probably a good person who meant well. Probably and was. And just was naive of, of. I think there's the, a lot of naivety in, and in, in, I think some of it's in. You know, the conspiracy theorist in me thinks some of it's intentional, you know, in how pe- how staff is educated and. Why aren't a lot of those folks volunteers? Uh, the some of them, the some of them might, help. some of them might be. I think down in Denali, there's a lot of summertime, like volunteer help. And again, I could be wrong, but I was down there this summer taking my kids to go hike around and if met some very nice folks yeah. that were park rangers yeah that were, most pe- volunteers yeah most people are well-intentioned but i think they are told stuff you know and they right. aren't the best educated on a lot of you know some of the rules and issues hmm. if i go down there i better better bring up like proof food container yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well like the park service used to like the park rangers used to grease grease wolves whenever they every chance they got down there in fact, there's a story, um, Frank Glazer, or Glazer Glazer, um, had missed this wolf, a three-legged wolf. He had, like, seen this pack of wolves kill this moose and snuck up on him and, you know, like, popped over a rise. And then this three-legged wolf was standing there, you know, point blank looking at him. And he mm-hmm. ended up shooting, like, seven or eight of the pack, but missed that one. Man. And then, like, a month later, one of the rangers in Denali or McKinley National Park at the time killed a three-legged female wolf like that was missing that leg like really? he thinks it could have you know was probably the same one huh wild which i've heard um springtime coming up um it's kind of got to get wrapped up here but an interesting deal i was told well a Alaska Trappers Association has a podcast now good i need to go listen to it and uh, it'd be cool to get get some of those guys on and and uh and chat a little bit so they've got that going i know they're they it's in march sometime they're alaska trappers spring fling banquet type of deal they i heard they were gonna someone told me they were auctioning off one of frank glazer's fox traps they said wolf trap but i think it was fox trap that um what the heck was his name found found some of them in the 70s had been walking those ridge lines either side of the Savage River that he used to trap fox on in the in the it was it was in the I think it was in the thirty it wasn't in the twenties, I think it was the thirties that he lived at Savage River. And, you know, someone this guy and his wife were I I just can't remember his name, I'll have to look it up. But because he's got a book too as a biologist here mm-hmm. in Alaska. Walking and noticed these tussocks that were out of place, like on top of these, because they're kind of described as real gravelly ridge lines, uh-huh. um, 
kind of flat topped gravelly ridge lines. These tussocks go up and there's like number two, I think it was number two and a half new house. Really? Um, trap staked into the gravel huh. by these tussocks. And so I think he, I think he had gathered up a few of them, took them home, threw them in a box, you know, forgot about them. And then when I, at least because someone sent me like a screenshot of his book, this guy's book okay. where he's talking about these traps. Um, and I think it was when Reardon's book about Glazer came out. Um, and he talked about transplanting those tussocks on top of that ridge for piss posts. No kidding. Like carry, he dug them up down from the low country and carried them up there in his pack to make peepos and, and buried them. And like, those were his, and he, you know, when he left his cabin at Savage River, just abandoned them. Huh. And, uh, so I heard that they were going to be auctioning one of those off. I don't know if I need to verify that, okay. check my sources, but that do would be pretty freaking cool. Do you know for, let's say a person is new to the area and they would like to trap, if they sign up with the ATA, will the ATA members help them find a trap line or an area that's not being actively I would. I'd say I would. I would say it's probably not a guarantee, but it's like the best place to start. Yeah. Like they're, you know, they're, you know, they're in a lot of like trap line stuff like that. For a long time, they had mo- a lot of trappers would you know voluntarily you know they communicate about where they're at mm-hmm. and coordinate this stuff because it's like claim jumping, you know. Yeah. Um, but, but. And the, the the law like the ethics on it are one thing or like, you know, the trappers like kind of code of ethics are one thing and the laws a different mm-hmm. thing. Um, but that's, that's where I would, that's where I would start but, is the Alaska Trappers Association. And they have meetings every month, you know, like I should do a lot better about participating and yeah. that stuff. But um, it, an acquaintance of ours, um, has a line, had an established line, had Martin boxes out. And, uh, and I think he also had some Wolverine, some Wolverine buckets out and someone else came behind him on his line and put their traps inside his Martin buck Martin boxes and put was using his three thirties and it baited his. (laughs) Yeah. That's like, it seems like there, well, there's another, you know, there was a guy I was talking to today that's, said he's got a similar type of thing going. So every year you hear stuff like that going on and, uh, and it's unfortunate, you know, but, uh, start. Yeah. If, if someone's wanting to get into trap and like, I think the ATA, you know, ATA is a good place to start and you can at least resource. Yeah. And there's, you know, and there's usually older guys that are willing to help, you know, newer trappers and, you know, I kind of need to get back into helping with the, for several years I, I helped put on the, you know, the fur handling clinics and stuff and classes and stuff like that. And, but it's, it's a, it's a good outfit to be a part of. And, and I think JR was saying, uh, saying to somewhere or made a post, something like that, you know, like there's a bunch of people on the ATA's Facebook group mm-hmm. and a lot less people as actual members. Like it's a yeah. good, it's a good organization to be a member of and numbers, you know, if we don't, even if you're not an active, like I, you know, I haven't been trapping in a couple of years, but you know, even if you're not active, it's a good, a good organization to be a member, mm-hmm. to be a member of if you're, if, especially if you're here local, yeah. you know, here in Fairbanks or Anchorage or just I, in Alaska in general. I had a couple of soldiers who had recently moved to Fairbanks and, mm-hmm. and they had asked me about it. I said, well, if you, if you want to trap, join the ATA and that's a great resource to help 
find some ground and deconflict with other trappers so that way you don't yeah. go stumbling onto someone else's line that they've been working for the last 20 years because yeah. that's not how you want to meet that person in the yeah. backcountry. Because otherwise it's, you know, yeah, it's just you're taking a shot in the dark and yeah, pretty much most of the country has somebody trapping it. Yeah. You know, so starting starting from a place like that, that's a, I'm glad you brought that up. It's, it's a good way to go. Um, but yeah. Well, I better wrap her up, man. Yeah, but, likewise. Uh, good to, yeah, good to see you and, and catch up with you. It's been quite a while since we really got a chance to sit and chat. Pandemics, and, uh, life. Yeah, chaos. more life than the pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if it wasn't for some, some minor inconveniences, I would not even know or care. Yeah, but, um, it's a good place to be. Yeah. <laughs> yep, it sure is. But yeah, Brett, good to see you, man. And uh, yeah, we'll stay in touch and... Thanks everybody for listening. And if uh, you have any comments or questions, you can email podcast at tundratalkak.com or shoot me a message on Instagram or anything like that. And I should, um, you know, the last update, I think mid-February or like maybe third week of February, I'm hoping to have the new hoodies. Oh, cool. yeah, mark, designs, mark me down so, for a couple of those. Those yeah. designs are sweet. So I hope, hopefully we'll have to reorder them immediately. Um, but we'll see. We'll take it, take it one, take it one step at a time. So thanks for listening.